Chris, can you hear that? The chipmunk. The uh, the test, 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 or like no, your uh, chipmunk. Yeah, definitely you can hear the, can hear the chipmunk. That's awesome. Golly. Absolutely, guys. I'm gonna use that at the beginning of this part of the show. Like our outtakes. <laughs> Brian, what the f are you doing, you idiot? <laughs> ready to boogie, dude? Yeah. Are you ready to work? I I've been ready. Nearly been ready. nearly 40 minutes later, thanks to Skype. We're good. To, Thank you, Skype. Uh, th well, thanks to two two things: Skype's being horrible, and Chris being the most amazing human on earth. Amicable, tolerant. I love it. Tolerant. Let's do this thing. Let's see if we can come up with other big words. All right, man. So let's kick it off. Uh, so, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening. Welcome to the Hot Owl. Uh, this is episode 32. My name is Brent Piatti, and with me, as always, Brian Carpenter. Good we, morning, sir. I, How are you? I barely made it, but we're here, and um, you know we have stories to tell for it. There's going to be blood, <laughs> guts, and uh, you know hopefully some some updates to Skype. Absolutely, yeah. We need to get Skype squared away uh, every time before we hop on this podcast because it absolutely is a hindrance uh, if everyone is not synced up. And if you're on Windows and Mac platforms mixed, it just does not like to work. But anyway, let's move on to. The goal of the show, so the goal of the show is to educate you on endpoint configuration management and then treating infrastructure as code. So um, as you know, configuration drift is, is really a pain in the butt. And, and if you think about how data centers are evolving from on-premises to uh, some semblance of hybrid where the public cloud is part of it, the management of hundreds, thousands, and even tens of thousands of endpoints becomes really cumbersome. So our guest today is Chris Weber from Chef, and hopefully we're going to address those things and uh, get everyone out there comfortable with the product and the placement and just talking about it in general. So, Chris, good morning. How are you? I'm fantastic. Yeah, Chris, awesome. Well, like, thanks again. Chris, I feel like you're yeah. part of the family. We've been hanging out for nearly an hour. Uh, we've all punched our computers simultaneously and uh, had to go nuclear for different reasons. So uh, we appreciate it. I think we're blessed that you're a fellow podcaster. Um, and so you were tolerant because you probably had this before. And if not, you're just trying to pay it forward. You know, it's funny. I, I think between being a remote worker and the, the joy of podcasting, right there, these technologies, they work most of the time, except for when you actually need them to work. So that's the way it goes. <laughs> it's it's uh, hilarious because Brett and I talked for an hour before we called you the second we go to call you all hell breaks loose, right? So yep. it's, it's no rhyme or reason. We test, we do those things. It doesn't matter how much you test. Uh, and we're going to share with everybody the uh, the chipmunk that we got out of our recordings. So there's a reason why we test. So let's do this thing. Chris, again, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. So Chris, tell us a bit about yourself. What are you doing over at Chef? And um, how are you impacting the world? So uh, my role at Chef is I'm an engineering manager for our CIA team, uh, CIA being Corporate Infrastructure and Applications. Um, we like neat acronyms over here at Chef. Uh, so as part of that, really my responsibility are all of our uh, forward-facing uh, web, web properties, not web applications. Uh, so the actual website itself, uh, our downloads page, we also support a number of services like Omnitruck, which so uh, we've all heard of the the curl bash. Um, 
when you go and pull down our install script, this is the endpoint that gives you all of the version information and where to go find uh, your um, version of Chef that you want to install. Uh, additionally, little little things internally around um, financials and really starting to ramp up how we run uh, various like integrations with Salesforce, integrations with the uh, different financial systems. We're looking at uh, ERP and um, financial as in you know accounting software right now and figuring out, okay, well, how do we move forward on this? That sort of thing. Uh, but a little bit of background. I've worked in higher ed. I've worked uh, on the web ops front. Uh, I actually worked at Demand Media supporting cracked.com, ehow.com, and society6.com. So I've, I've run the gamut in um, various different uh, environments, if you will. Yeah, I love how, uh, you know, just kind of looking at your pedigree, you've you've been an infrastructure engineer for and a high-performance computing guy for a while. And now here you are at Chef, um, which is a pure software play, right? And uh, you're a engineering manager. So how is how did that shift kind of happen for you, and what got you moved into that side of the house? So there are a couple things. Uh, I actually the other thing that gets missed uh, occasionally is I I spent about a year on the community team, just uh, talking to folks and working on actually launching uh, supermarket.chef.io. Um, so it's it's been a really interesting adventure. I think for me, I love people, and I think one of the things that gets missed really often in our our industry as a whole is that um, you know the dirty secret is is that it's all made of people, right? We have software, we have uh, computers and hardware, but at the end of the day, it's the personal relationships. It's the ability to go figure out what that person on the other side actually needs, whether the person on the other side is understanding, uh, you know, working with the network engineering folks to figure out what they mean when they say VLAN and what they mean when they talk about a port or talking to the business customer and actually understanding, hey, so what's actually wrong with this interface? What is actually going wrong so that we can back out from there and figure out, okay, this is how we solve problems. Uh, so that has kind of translated to, I really enjoy just working with people and uh, being a manager has been a lot of fun in that regard. Well, I think that 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 suits you uh, into the, your previous job at Chef, which was a community community engineer, right? So, um, from my understanding, you also manage the whole community surrounding the ecosystem that is configuration management and Chef and things like that. So, um, yeah, definitely seems right up your alley. Uh, any so any publications out there? Have you have you like keynoted any or not keynoted? I guess uh, written any books. With, with other folks or on your own or anything like that? No publications. I've got a blog at uh, cweber.net uh, that one of these days I'm going to get good at uh, updating on a regular basis. Um, I'm hoping, uh, we haven't announced them yet, so uh, it'll be interesting to see. I One of the fun parts about working at a company that hosts a conference is you don't get to know uh, who's speaking at the conference any sooner than anybody else does. Um, <laughs> but I'm hoping, I've got a couple of talk uh uh, presentations uh, out for ChefConf. So I'm hoping to be speaking at ChefConf. We'll find out. Uh, I think the word was April 14th, but uh, hoping for hoping for that. I, I've i been trying to kind of dial back travel a little bit, so haven't uh, put out many other uh, paper or uh, yeah, I can't even talk today. Any other, uh, responded to any other CFPs at this point. Uh, but 
Uh, I've got a few talks that I've done. Uh, DevOps Day, Silicon Valley. Uh, I spoke at... Gosh, I don't even remember now. Uh, it's on the website. Yeah. No, no sweat, man. But uh, you did mention, uh, you know, we're all fellow podcasters. So tell us a bit about your podcast, uh, kind of where it is and, and where it's going. So... We haven't recorded in a while. Uh, my hope is to actually uh, bootstrap that again in the next month or so. It really, it's it's called Ops All the Things, and it's that focus on just generic operations, whether you live on the web ops side, whether you live on the, the corporate infrastructure side, uh, just day-to-day operations. Uh, my uh, my co-host, uh, Stephen Murawski, uh, used to work at Stack Exchange, is now at Chef as well. Uh, Lots and lots of Windows background, actually. So my background is very heavily uh, Unix and Linux. Uh, he is very heavily Windows. So it was really interesting always to kind of sit and talk of, okay, well, how do you do this on Windows? How do you do this on Linux? Uh, how do those worlds mesh? Uh, and seeing the things that are working in both worlds, if you will. Fair enough. Well, cool. So before we dive into uh, understanding a bit more about about Chef, the company and the product, uh, we do a segment uh, every week. If we're on every week, typically we are, but we've had a bit of a hiatus, and, and now we're back and we're in full swing. And we've got a we've got a great lineup, including yourself, Chris. But uh, this week in tech history, um, on March twenty fifth, two thousand and four, Comcast G four acquired Tech TV. So uh, do either of you guys remember Tech TV? I do. I I remember Tech TV. Oh yeah, I remember watching. It was I was saddened the day that uh, G4 bought Tech TV. It became G4 Tech TV, and my favorite, just a couple of my favorite shows, Call for Help and Screen Savers, were were both canceled. Uh, and now it's a video game show. And I mean, they have some they, they have some good content on there, but I really miss Call for Help and Screen Savers. There's a lot of uh, good- but funny. Yeah, there's yeah, a lot ahead. of good stuff that came out of uh, you know tech TV and things like that, and um, I think uh, people's attention spans are what killed it. You know, in 2004, I think we had um, longer attention spans, but now as we've all turned into goldfish, um, you know, it's just we really just can't watch a whole show about something. We have to watch it in GIF or uh, YouTube. And if I said GIF instead of GIF, I don't care what your rule is. It's that's the way I say it. All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, but. So- uh, in- yeah, what are you going to say, Chris? Go ahead, buddy. So it, it's just hilarious to hear the the uh, the comment about attention span because I'm sitting here like a, as we're talking, the 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 notifications are like bouncing all over the place. Yeah, I've uh, I just had to turn them off because people were people were beating me up, and uh, you know <laughs> you know Skype is the new ADD. Uh, or, I'm sorry, Slack is the new ADD, right? You just uh, you know now you're talking to all your friends and getting work done and and distracting yourselves in different ways uh, as before. So. Um, I've learned to try to use OSX and turn off notifications and put, sl- put Slack on sleep so that I can get things done. I'm not sure anybody will believe that I did that, but I'm going to say it out loud because my boss listens. I don't believe it. Yeah. yeah so, I don't believe it. Um, you know, let's get to the chef thing, right? We've, um, we've, we've gotten to know Chris. We've uh, found that um, Brent had to take a hiatus, and we've missed a couple of uh, podcasts here. Um, I'm going to br- blame Brent instead of the guests that didn't show up. Um, and then, um, on top of that, we've got, uh, some things to do. So Chris, let's kind of set this stage, right? Let's get this going. Let's, let's kind of explain chef, you know, like explain like I'm five, right? We're up on Reddit. Explain like I'm five. What is chef? So chef, the product is a configuration management and automation platform. 
there is a server component and there's a client component. Uh, the client is really used to apply what are what we call cookbooks and recipes, which are really simple uh, manifests, if you will, around ensuring the state of a system. So, uh, for example, we all have servers that we need to have, let's say, NTP running on. I'm going to use a Linux example because it's always good. Because uh, we need our time to be in sync everywhere. I'm going to be able to do things like maybe create, ensure that the service is actually running, make sure that it's actually installed, or because uh, I'm a lazy sysadmin, I'm going to go out to our community site and download the community NTP uh, cookbook and use that use a recipe inside that cookbook to actually set it up across all of my infrastructure so I don't have to rewrite that code myself. Um, and you really can take it, the next kind of step from there is, is once you have that automation platform, it becomes an easy way to uh, do things like collect information about what's going on in your system. So Chef Server, uh, which is the, the policy engine, if you will, uh, allows us to also feedback information. I always tell people when they're talking about, well, uh, deploying Chef, well, why would I do that? And I don't want to change anything. And I'm like, that's fine. If the only thing you do is go stand up a Chef server and deploy it to your 200, 2000, whatever number of nodes it is, and then go use uh, the Chef search functionality to get reporting about your infrastructure, you're winning. Because so many people don't even know what's out there that but purely by having the Chef client running on all your systems and reporting back data via OHI, and yes, that's OHI, like I'm here, um, you get the the ability to understand your infrastructure and really begin to make decisions that you wouldn't be able to make otherwise. Um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't just point out really quickly, as part of the, the, the larger automation platform, uh, there's what we call delivery, uh, which is kind of uh, my baby. Uh, about a year ago, uh, in fact, exactly a year ago, I was sitting behind stage uh, as they live uh, demoed delivering delivery using delivery. Um, that's very so meta. It, it was. It was hilarious. Uh, but we actually got to this place where now our all of our corporate websites are delivered using delivery. So my my team, we actually it they don't even run on it's serverless, right? Because I'm using uh, Fastly with S3. There's no servers there, uh, and it's fantastic because it's still a Chef cookbook, right? It's it's very especially laid out, but it's a chef cookbook that handles standing up all of that infrastructure. And my coworkers, in fact, uh, one of the, my team members is, she is the most amazing CSS wizard ever. But writing chef code, totally not a thing for her. She delivers our website all day long and gets it out into production because all of that, that code is automated uh, in the way it stands things up. That's awesome, right? And that's the, it's kind of, you're talking about this automation and letting people who don't normally do something or it's not in their wheelhouse kind of focus on what it is that they do and, you know, let the tools do what it needs to do instead. So when Chef started, is there a fundamental problem that was basically unsolved that Chef, I know there's been some, obviously there's growth and, and drift in the core focus of Chef, but when Fe Chef started, there was there a fundamental problem that Chef said, hey, we've got to go out and solve this thing? So... 
there, there's some great history here. Um, we'll take a little bit of a trip down memory lane. Uh, so in the beginning, there was uh, CF Engine. And CF Engine uh, was, it, it did the thing, but it, and it was really fast, but it didn't scale and it was really hard to kind of write. So then uh, Luke Kinise came along and he wrote Puppet. Uh, Puppet kind of built on top of the same fundamental ideas of CF Engine uh, and took particular approaches. That then, uh, as Adam, uh, who is one of the founders of Chef, uh, he went and was actually building a business on using Puppet to automate people's infrastructure and do it over and over again. And they hit some really interesting uh, dilemmas early on with the way that Puppet was laid out, certain design decisions. In fact, it's actually, it gets really fun when you go way back in history and read uh, exchanges between Luke and Adam and some of the other folks at that time around design decisions around Puppet. We ended up with Chef, which makes some very different trade-offs as to how it thinks about the world. Uh, probably a fairly well-known uh, fact, but um, I actually am a certified puppet master. I started in the puppet world uh, and made the switch to Chef. I uh, saw and, that, man. You're on all of our puppet comps website, and the fact that you're certified puppet master, like I was, I, I was a little bit astounded, but uh, very cool to know. Yeah, I I love me my the can't even talk. I love the puppet folks. Uh, you know, there's some great great people over there. Uh, and honestly, I I've always uh, handed out my business card when people are talking about uh, puppet versus chef and all of that stuff. Uh, I will be straight up, and uh, anyone from chef, I would expect to say very similar things. Um, if you don't have puppet or chef, just pick one. Like, pick one, move on, go, make it happen. Um, I'm going to tell you personally, I think that uh, you will find once you get a year in is when you realize, oh, that's when I probably should have gone with Chef. Uh, because when you first start with any of the major configuration management stuff, so whether it be Ansible, Puppet, uh, Chef, you end up in this place where initially they're not very different to begin with. You're really starting with really basic things, a service, a package, and a config file. And in fact, Puppet early on called it the trifecta. You, you have these three things and you're just writing some real basic code to get to that place. It's where you get to the more complex uh, scenarios much later on down the road where you're like, oh, uh, well, let's face it. For anybody that's installed Oracle, uh, good luck and Godspeed doing that uh, with Puppet. As much as I love me some Puppet, uh, I will take any day of the week and twice on Sunday the power of Chef to do so to do things like uh, creating cookbooks and recipes for Oracle. And I, I'm just going to say, I find a very, I'm, you know, a tight connection to the fact that all you talk about is food. Um, so, you know, <laughs> being a chef and having cookbooks and things like that, it's right up my alley. Um, you know, the only thing that distracts me is, you know, there's this other thing out there called salt. And I'm like, I don't understand why that's their, not their product. Right. So, um, you know, but that's just the, well, food let guy. me interject that's, there real quick. That's just though. the hungry guy. Right. So, Chris, so I do a Google search. I do Chris Weber, comma, chef. There are chefs, like world-renowned chefs named Chris Weber. And I'm like, holy shit, what are the odds of that? Uh, in, a, in addition to a bunch of sports stars and, like, actors and things like that. But it was quite funny that uh, you popped up. So I did do chef software and then 
all of a sudden all your information came up. I had this moment. I'm like, wait, is he going to point out the basketball player? Because I knew about the basketball player. I didn't know that there were famous chefs. I'm going to have to level up my Google game. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, hopefully you won't choke at the end of this. So um, anyways, so as we talk about all the other parts of this, right, uh, you've mentioned the service, this package, and this config file. So real quick, just we want to break it down real quick. Um, A service. uh, Give me an example of a service. Well, so let's go back to our NTP example, right? We have, um, when we talk about NTP, let's start at, at basics, right? We start with a package. We have to have that package installed. Now, for my Windows folks, um, this is is a little different of a concept. Uh, think of it as in, the installer, the... Um, the MSI or whatever the, it may be. Or... The, the MSI, thank yeah. you. Uh, I, I miss, like, that's the one thing when I get on in the, well, chocolatey, I guess, is probably the, the closest thing right now, is, um, or is it chocolatey nougat? I, I don't remember the yeah. actual name, but. More food. The idea, it, I know, right? Yeah. Uh, and the funny thing is, uh, the guy that does that uh, actually works for a puppet. Um, but we all contribute, because, uh, you know, it's, that as a total aside, and I, I hope that this has come out in what I've said already, like, we all are in this together. We all want to see uh, sysadmins uh, and uh, other folks in this profession not have to be manual, you know, just typing commands all day long. Like, we actually want to see people be able to go home at night and not uh, have to think about their computers all day long. Um, so, I think there's this really interesting point of you start with the package. So, whether that be, um, chocolatey, whether that be uh, coming out of an apt repo, whether that be um, even Solaris, you know, an actual package uh, coming off of, you know, disk, yay CD-ROMs, or uh, in the more common uh, example, an NFS mount. So you start with this package and we install NTP. Cool. We've got it running. Well, we've got it installed rather. We then are going to drop a config file in place that says, Okay, because we're running NTP, right? I need to know where to go get my NTP configuration. So we're going to drop a config file in place using a template. So I can templatize that. And so, for example, uh, for many of us that run in multiple data centers, you may say, if, if I'm in this data center, use this NTP server. If I'm in another data center, use this NTP server. Um, and then... We're going to finish it off with a service. We're going to say, ensure that the service NTPD is running because we now have all of the pieces that, that make up uh, running NTP. Does that yes. kind of break things down a little bit better? Yeah, it does. So, I mean, now let's kind of talk about the general, you've, you've talked about all the different parts and you've talked about where Chef is solving some problems. Um, let's look, you know, let's zoom out a little bit, you know, and what is this infrastructure as code thing like what are, what are your thoughts what does that mean to you what does it mean to chef um and you know exactly what is that or is it something or is that marketing no infrastructure as code is badass um it is the one of the things that i love the most about my job at this point so let's let's rewind go back in the day for a second and talk about how we used to stand up services okay um, we, someone would go down to the data center and we'd rack and stack the box. Um, we didn't get dev test environments because what are those? Uh, no one can afford that crap. 
so we would run a machine. We would then install an OS on that. Hopefully you had, um, uh, I forget what, what it's called anymore because I haven't done it in it. Jumpstart or uh, what is it in in uh, RHEL land? Uh, like Kickstart. So, yeah. so Jumpstart, Kickstart, something like that. Get an OS on the box. Someone would SSH into it, install some packages, add some config. We would check to make sure that the service was working as we expected and deploy, you know, and drop the code onto the box. And we would then, you know, schedule a maintenance window and cut over the service or, you know, turn up the service and then announce it. When I do things right now, and, and just so that we know, like this got a little bit better with VMs, right? I could have three copies of this. I could get it all ready. And then when we were, we were done, I could make a copy of that VM three times. And now I had redundancy and all that stuff. Fast forward to today. Uh, and you can actually see this on GitHub uh, with Omnitruck. When we deployed the new version of Omnitruck, what we did is we hit deliver. And I mean that in a, in, in a very serious way. We, the code bases that support not only installing the application and like packaging it up in a way that we can use it on a, on a system, the getting it running on the system, standing up of the load balancer that sits in front of it, standing up the DNS that points at it, all of that is in code right now. I can go, if I wanted to, I could go blow away our acceptance environment, you know, so go into the EC2 console, so AWS, delete the, the ELB, delete the EC2 instances, and hit and push a change through our delivery pipeline. And when, it, when we approve the code change, when it hits acceptance, everything stands back up. The, the instances come alive, the ELB comes alive. Um, in my case, the CDN config comes alive. The entire thing is in code. So if we were to have, let's say a DR event, where I needed to, so US West 2 went away. I would literally go into the code base, update a couple of things to say, nope, I want you in US East 1 now. Hit, you know, someone would do a code review and then we would hit uh, approve, which would bump it into an acceptance environment. We'd verify that it was good and then hit deliver. And it, delivery is kind of really neat and we, we're still kind of talking config configuration management today, but I'd love at some point to sit down and talk this um, the semantics of delivery. But needless to say, we end up in a place where delivery uh, gets us delivered production infrastructure. And I didn't in interact with it at all. And we do this all the time, where right where we stand up and build build a new web service. You know, we're a Ruby shop, so build a little Sinatra thing, um, push it into acceptance. Okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. Yep, I think we're ready to launch it. Deliver, and out pops the the environments on the other side. It's just fantastic. And you did us a huge favor. You teed up the next question, right? So you started with, you know, we have kind of where Chef was and what we were doing, uh, you know, where the problems were that we're solving, and then now you've talked about the fact that um, there's a bunch of developers delivering things, and the code delivers on their behalf. You know, the infrastructure delivers on their behalf as they go do their jobs of. Uh, doing things in Ruby on the development side that have nothing to do with infrastructure and frankly don't care about it, right? Um, except for the fact that it needs to be to, it needs to be there for them. Um, so, Chef has obviously grown and the the product set has 
expanded and done a bunch of different things. So, um, you know, can you kind of explain the entire product set and what the mindset is across the board of, of what you guys are doing and where you're headed? Wow. I totally should have like gone and found the product slide because there's a slide somewhere. Um, but so it really, it starts way back at the beginning, right? It starts with workflow. It's the, how do we, uh, test our infrastructure? How do we actually build the, the infrastructure as code? And we said infrastructure as code, which, you know, I hate to say it, but for all my ops people out there, you're going to become software developers. It's just kind of a thing. So it means writing tests for your code. It means, uh, and whether those tests are using our unit tests. So you're just writing tests to verify that yes, your chef code does what we expect it to do. So for example, Hey, you know, that SSH config that we're rendering out, we kind of want to make sure that we actually disable root logins. That would totally be cool. Uh, those types of things. We're going to do some lint testing. So learning, so we haven't talked a whole lot about this, but there's, uh, this idea of, um, food critic. So, uh, the idea of making sure that our code is readable. And for those of us that have been around a little longer, we, we uh, have all read the golfed uh, Perl code where it was uh, not a question of how do we read this tomorrow? It was a, uh, how many things can I fit on one line? Um, linting helps prevent those kinds of things. And in that sort of thing, right? So we're really working through the workflow and local development. So we have a product called, um, well, it's an open source project from the community called Test Kitchen, where you are able to spin up and test your chef configuration locally uh, using uh, a testing framework called InSpec, uh, which is used as part of our compliance product. So we take this and we do all this local development and then we use delivery as kind of the, the larger, larger wrapping mechanism to help us understand, move the from on our workstation out to production. As part of that, we have the chef server really is kind of the, it's the central component that coordinates all of the things, if you will. It's where we store our artifacts. It's where our production instances check in to make sure that they are still uh, configured the way they're supposed to be. And then from there, we've got pieces around reporting and we've got a, a compliance piece, which uh, I will be straight. I don't understand entirely because I still haven't dug deep into that uh, product. But imagine being able to write a set of rules and say, okay, now go out to all of my infrastructure that's running Chef, log in and verify that I'm meeting with those compliance pieces. So, and this is really where the, the rubber meets the road. Imagine, because we've all been through audits, right? Where you're sitting and it's like, well, prove that you're doing this thing. Compliance becomes that that final piece. So you start through for through your compliance journey of we have a code base. This is how that code base gets deployed, and this is the code base that verifies that we're meeting uh, our compliance objectives. That we're actually uh, not storing passwords in these places because we've actually verified that we're not storing passwords in these places. And it gets to this point of the I, I have some colleagues that have trained their auditors as to how they use chef and they come back year after year and go, man, can we just like teach this to other people? So I don't have to do so much work because you get to this place where it's like, I've got a, a chef, a set of, a, a, a set of chef recipes. I 
can't talk. It was easy for you to say, though. That's good. And uh, this code is, we can verify that this is what's in production. I've got logs to show that this is what was put into production. I've got logs to show that anytime it deviated, that it uh, was put back in place. And I've got logs to show that we're meeting our compliance objectives uh, as per the, the stated, we're going to meet these rules type things. And all of that comes together to build out just beautiful infrastructure. And you get to focus on doing actual things like building infrastructure instead of focusing on um, whether or not you're compliant. And so I assume that, you know, besides going out and going and finding things that are out of compliance by running rules against existing uh, hosts and guests and, you know, pet services or whatever, you can also drive all new releases through the same compliance engine and make sure that they're valid before they're released? Yes. In fact, um, I'm sitting there trying to think about where exactly that falls in the uh, delivery pipeline. But yeah, essentially what you do is you use those rules as part of your functional testing in del the, your delivery pipeline to ensure that before it ever gets off the box. And what's even cooler than that is you can go so far as you can set up your development environments so that you're running those compliance rules on your local workstation. So as you make and build your cookbooks, you can actually test that before any other developer or any other uh, sysadmin ever sees the code that you've written because you've verified super early on. The, the real goal is, is how do we push all these tests and all of these things so that we can run them quickly and before we get to the point where they're a problem. Yeah, and this is, I mean, this is super cool. And by the way, I have a, I have a security background. And for somebody who said that they didn't understand the compliance portion, uh, you're doing a great job. So keep it up. Um, I, I can only imagine how good you'll be if you actually read it. Um, so um, now you're talking about the fact that security teams and, you know, the CISO and wherever he pushes things down can create a security team of people who are focused on the infrastructure and the apps who can develop their own compliance rules and simply inject them in the delivery process as well as the development process to help facilitate a more secure environment without the developers, again, having to be security-minded or even be good at security because the tool helps them continuously validate that they're doing the right things. Absolutely. In it. fact, it, it's one of the silly things. So, um, so in delivery, we get this really neat thing where there's this concept of pre-artifact versus post-artifact. And one of the things I do as part of that is in all of my Ruby applications during our security phase, I verify that the, you know, that the code base is secure, if you will, by doing things like uh, running a bundler audit. So verifying that all of my, uh, the gems that I'm have packaged up and are sending off, there's no open CVEs against them. I do things like for my Rails applications, we actually run Breakman, uh, which is a, a static analysis tool, just to do real cursory and basic checks. Are we, because so much of security, and, and this is the thing that I find hilarious is, and we all, we've all seen this, right? It's the 90% of stuff can actually be caught by scanners because it's just really simple. Did you do this one little thing? And if you can add it to the pipeline so you stop thinking about it, it just happens. And the only time you think about it is when you break it, you're doing really awesome. So cool. Um, uh, definitely, I know that, uh, you know, I've got a customer in town that, that is using Chef, but I don't think that they're using it uh, 
and in quite the way that we talked about in, in terms of um, you know maintaining drift, he was telling me that they have like twenty five. Um, uh, um, geez, now I'm, I'm I'm losing my train of thought. What is the Microsoft app where you talk to each other the um, on your desktop? Shoot, you talking about Skype, <laughs> Link, something? I mean, yeah, Link. Yeah, has, he's got like twenty five Link servers, and each of them are snowflakes. Um, and so obviously we're like, dude, use Chef, like square that shit away. Um, okay, but anyway, so you, and, you and Chris have killed this thing. You do know that like people like Melissa Gurney's kids, like listen to this and <laughs> you know, you're their, you're their, uh, their mentor. So I'm just giving you a hard time, Brent. Just keep, keep well, I'll just, with, I'll, I'll keep spell it out. Military background. So, <laughs> so we've talked chef server, chef delivery, chef compliance, but there's also chef analytics and high availability. So let's hit on those two key things as well. So analytics is really neat. Uh, so imagine being able to take and so you have this your infrastructure running as we go, right? And we want to actually know, hey, when did that change? When did when did uh, so we pushed out a new cookbook? We pushed out uh, a change to an attribute. We pushed out a some sort of change, and we want to be able to see it maybe cascade through our infrastructure or be able to go and look back and say, uh, you know, we have this issue start about six months, or we have this issue we just discovered. When did the, that config file change? Well, you can actually go back and look in analytics and say, oh, six months ago is when, you know, these 30 systems had that file uh, be updated. And then HA is just, uh, I believe it's only in AWS right now, but it's the ability to run a, an HA pair of your chef server to actually keep it high of it, highly available. What's really kind of interesting, right, about a lot of these configuration management tools um, is that they're super important when you're using them, but if uh, from a an uh, in inline failure mode, it's really neat because you don't generally end up in a place where uh, if the chef server goes down, that it's taking out your infrastructure with it which uh, for better or for worse, we've all dealt with those kinds of tools over the years where it's like, hey, this important thing just went away and it took everything with it. Yeah. All right. So uh, you talked about the fact that Chef can uh, run in the cloud. So let's talk about kind of the evolution, right? So you guys started as an open source project um, and then you kind of moved into software as a service and then on-premises. So Talk, talk about that evolution and kind of where you can live and support your customers. So the real answer is, is we can support customers uh, wherever you decide to run. Um, I, I will say uh, there are people internally that uh, would like to see us support less AIX, uh, but we do support AIX. Um, you know, and, and as many people will know, you don't run that in the cloud. Um, it really... It's we're going to meet you where you're where you are. Uh, the actual piece of uh, the SaaS is fantastic. It's uh, wonderful because you can just get started. You get, I believe, five nodes for free, and you just stand up some infrastructure and point it and go. From a on-prem or cloud solution, the other option is is if let's say you want to run a Chef server inside a VPC, we've got a thing for that. Uh, if you wanted to just run it on bare metal, uh, you know, 
I, I'll say it, Facebook runs on bare metal as far as I understand, but they have a lot of nodes checking in. That's And, and that's, I think, one of our biggest differentiators that we don't talk about very often is the just the scale uh, where we get into. In fact, I've stopped like using the numbers because I don't remember. I know that there are more zeros than I think is reasonable after that number. So I just like, eh, whatever. It really, the this the scalability becomes super, super important uh, when you're, you know, the Facebooks of the world. And uh, we can definitely support those kinds of environments as well. So I think you should just go ahead and drop the number, whether it's uh, completely up to date. But what, what are we talking here? I, I want to say someone had, they were running 10,000 plus nodes against a single chef server. Wow. Uh, it may have been more. Uh, I, I would have to go look through like, oh, <laughs> I have to go through look through those chat logs, and we've we've switched to Slack, so I don't know that I have those anymore. But yeah, it's it's something like ten thousand plus nodes against a single chef server, and I think I'm I may be off by a zero. Oh wow! Okay, cool. Uh, so what about some other cool stories, man? I mean, you know, you can do a whole heck of a lot of stuff with this. What's the most innovative way you've seen Chef used um, with your customer base today? Ah oh, man, so we we were up at. Uh, up at ChefConf, I think two years ago, when we were sitting down uh, to a uh, to dinner, and I was with someone from Facebook, and they the 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 neat things they do is just amazing. And one of the examples that was given was they pull in from various different sources. Uh, so th their app developers actually end up writing a fair amount of Chef code to deploy their applications. Uh, their app they are also allowed to set kernel tunables. So they have libraries written so that it'll pull in all of the various um, sysc cuddle uh, configuration changes, that type of thing, and will make decisions about which ones to, to take precedence and all of that jazz uh, on the system on the fly when it converges. So imagine being able, I, I mean, think about what I just said there for just a second. Your application developers have the ability to make decisions and change kernel tunables as they please. And there is a, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, there's a library that's been written to modify those things on the fly. My favorite internal use, so I was talking about chef and delivery and all that stuff. We actually have chef resources written that interact with Fastly. So all of our CDN config is actually chef code. It's just a, we declare the uh, service, we declare uh, the various rules that need to exist inside the CDN. Uh, it just, it's all there. Like I, I can't think of anything um, off the top of my head that's super, super crazy. So, but, I mean, you mentioned things like supporting AIX and things like that. When you see people doing things like trying to, um, deploy, you know, containers or, you know, basically any sort of something that looks like a container on something like a IBM Z series, right? Because they can, they're kind of repurposing mainframes to try to do modern architectures. Um, you, you know, the, the legacy support of Chef is kind of interesting as well. Is there, uh, you know, what kind of interesting things are people doing to really automate or manage these legacy environments and these parts that are kind of still, you know, driving out cost in those legacy environments? What are they, you have any good in, info there? Uh, well, I've got great war, war stories around uh, 
for anybody that's ever fought the good fight uh, with SNI uh, or uh, Sanserts, uh, you know that Cento or that Rel Five variants are an adventure to say the least. Um, so we definitely support uh, Rel Five uh, because yeah, uh, been there, done that. But here's the thing, right? With so many of these environments, the, it really boils down to configuration drift. It's how many hours are you spending doing mundane tasks? I, I always go back to when people talk about first getting started with configuration management. If the thing that you're starting with is, um, if you're like if you're starting with a bunch of brownfield, uh, so legacy applications, legacy systems, don't start by trying to bite off and automate the entire thing. It's going to hurt. Instead, start with the things that you know should be the, the same way across all of the infrastructure and that you've got, you're going to get the, um, you're going to get, uh, good feedback, even if you break things, right? So perfect example, we've talked about NTP. If you go and turn up NTP everywhere and you broke something because you turned on NTP, like you've got the security person at your back that's going to be like, no, dude, you totally needed to do that because that was important. You know, you're going to get that kind of support. How about user management, right? Making sure that all of the system users are meeting your audit spec because we all have a spec somewhere in a binder that says these users are disabled, these, um, these users have this all set, that sort of thing. Set up those rules and push them out across your infrastructure. Because it really does, it's simple. SSH config is another example, right? Where you generally don't have many snowflakes, if you will, uh, in SSH land. You generally have three or four SSH configs across your entire infrastructure. Well, automate those types of things because that's really what's important. This is getting all of those things that you're, you're messing with a little here and there. And by automating... Uh, the baseline stuff that, and you know, when we talked about legacy environments, knowing what you've got, uh, I, I can't stress enough the idea of just get a chef client installed on the thing and reporting back to chef servers so that you can go look and say, Hey, how many boxes do I have running CentOS 5? Oh, how many boxes do I have running um, this version of the kernel? those types of things where you can now answer questions uh, sanely across all of your infrastructure. Absolutely. So uh, we, we've talked, I think, uh, in depth about the, the, the product set within Chef, um, but there's also a whole ecosystem uh, that the community is building and, and maybe even your developers are involved if, within the open source land like Bento, Omnibus, you talked about Knife and Test, test Kitchen. So, um, how is that ecosystem uh, kind of thriving and, and what is driving driving that? So I, I will say the community is what makes Chef awesome. Um, you know, and we, we say it all the time. Uh, if the if we didn't have the community, we wouldn't have Chef software. But if we didn't have Chef software, we'd still have the community. And the, the community really does make a big difference. So there are a couple of different aspects of the community depending on you know who you are and and what you do. So um, for those of us that are just users of Chef, 
there are there's the the gigantic community that is the supermarket, right? Uh, the supermarket has uh, cookbooks and recipes that other people have developed and built uh, as time has gone by. I've I think I've got one or two up there. I've definitely committed to a few because we've got some internally maintained ones. Um, flip that on its head, you've got pieces of software that have been built by the community to support uh, the ecosystem. So Chef Spec, Food Critic. Uh, in fact, we actually make a point. Uh, we have a thing called um, Chef DK, which is part of that workflow piece. And it we do our best to include some of the more commonly used uh, community uh, pieces of software. So, for example, Test Kitchen is included as part of that. Uh, Burke Shelf is included as part of that. Uh, Knife Spork is included as part of that. It, it's all of those really neat things. So there's lots of little really neat uh, knife plugins as well. So we uh, maintain some open source uh, knife connectivity. I, 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 I've got a total aside. I, I've got to say when I came to Chef, I was like, knife is dumb. Why would I ever need something like that? I just I'm going to have the node spin up and do its thing once it comes alive. And once you learn like some basic knife commands, it becomes amazing. Uh, it's this this single command to kind of interact with your infrastructure. So um, whether you're using it to bootstrap an already running system or uh, I, I've got snippets somewhere in my shell scripts to just stand up a new instance that um, is joined to the chef server in EC2. I have it for DigitalOcean as well. Just that ability to go, oh, I need a new instance. Run a knife command and it's boom, it's there and it's got all the basics set up. Um, so, or, you know, running knife search commands across, you know, I was talking about that idea of having access to that, all that information. I love knife. And it was one of those things that at first I was like, oh, what do I need this thing for? Um, but continuing, you know, through community projects, the other piece of that is, um, you know, Chef is a, an open source project, um, the, the, the client itself and the server. So we actually have a governance board, uh, the CBGB. Uh, so chef governance board. I don't know where the extra letter goes. Um, and we have members from all throughout the community, both open source contributors and enterprise customers that are on that board. Uh, we have a, an IRC meeting, and I think we may be moving to Slack, but I know we have an IRC meeting as of now, uh, Thursdays at 9 PDT um, or PST, depending on the time of year. And we really work to go through an RFC process and actually uh, work with the community to better build Chef. Uh, in fact, total uh, shout out to the folks at Chef that put on the community summit. If you have to pick a, a conference for the year to go to, Chef Community Summit is it. Uh, the, it is the most high bandwidth, um, dense uh conference that I have ever been to. And I, I don't know how to explain how amazing it is uh, until you've actually been there. It's a complete unconference. So it's one of those harder ones to sell to a boss in the sense of, well, what are you going to talk about when you get there? Chef. Um, but the answer is uh, anything we need to talk about. And you end up getting this really deep set of uh, community practitioners. And it's not just chef, right? It's we're all there because we use Chef, which means we, generally speaking, run infrastructure. Um, it's that opportunity to have some just really deep conversations. Yeah, and it's it's cool. actually kind of interesting because I look at uh, Chef, you know, like ChefConf, right, which is in Austin. 
It's uh, near and dear to my heart. You got to keep it weird. Uh, it's, it's it's there in July. You know, we we could celebrate my birthday while we're there. And um, but I look at it and I go, but it's just for Chef. And while I'm very entertained by Chef, there's a lot more to the world than just Chef. So how do you how do you justify spending you know 48 or 72 hours at a at a corporate conference that's just about Chef? Like what it, what what else is there about it that makes it so valuable? Well, and so. So specifically to ChefConf, I will tell you, and because I got it, I did get a chance to see some of the submissions that came in. Uh, it, it is going to be a very um, broad list. Uh, I'm sorry, a broad uh, series of topics. And how do I put this? If you are going to ChefConf, you're doing it not to go just for Chef regardless of how important chef is it's for the larger infrastructure right at the end of the day the thing that makes chef amazing is not what you're doing with chef it's the infrastructure you're building on top of chef it's the the are you running 10,000 nodes and what are what tips and tricks do you have for uh, service discovery what are you doing to make the the actual act of running infrastructure uh, useful. It, it's kind of like when you go to a Cisco conference, right? You're not going to go and learn about Cisco per se. It's all of the really interesting bits are all of the things of what people are using their Cisco gear for and learning about how people are actually deploying IPv6 or how people are actually deploying some of these kind of crazy firewalls and stuff. Yes, you're going to learn a lot about how the the individual interactions, but it's the opportunity to be in the room with other practitioners. It's an opportunity to really have deep conversations about running infrastructure. And Chef, you know, once again, you're going to learn lots about Chef and about lots of things, interesting things that people are doing with Chef. But you're also going to hear about the more important piece. What are they doing and how they're using it to impact their lives? And I, I think that that's, it's kind of like understanding just the baseline of what it what it is that you're going that you're doing uh, on a day to day basis, if you will. Cool. So, kind of along the same lines of the of the community, um, surfing, you know, your webpage, uh, Chef.io, right? Is that uh, that's correct? Yes, www.chef.io. Awesome. There is a butt ton of training. Right. You notice I didn't use the SHIT word, Brian, um, but uh, there is a lot of it, and uh, I like it. Can you quantify butt ton? <laughs> a so, metric butt ton. Yeah, so go ahead. <laughs> but anyway, there's there's really a lot out there. Uh, so who generates that? Is it mostly internal, uh, or is the community helping to generate that, and you're kind of pulling stuff in? Talk to me a bit about that and why training – I mean, really seems like uh, a core competency of, of what you guys do. Um, so training is, is a huge part, right? You you can't learn to uh, to do the thing without a little bit of okay. Th these are the fundamentals, and I think the interesting part, right, is is that. So uh, I'll use a little bit of an analogy, right? When when we looked at the move to virtualization we weren't fundamentally changing how we did business. We just had a whole lot of the, the, the systems that we were already kind of managing. So the, the thing that changed there is the quantity, the fundamental uh, principles didn't. When you start to look at automation, when you start to look at thinking about 
okay, so when I run this command, when I make this change to this file, I'm going to impact 30,000 nodes over the course of a half an hour. Uh, getting a chance to actually understand a little bit more about the process by which we develop these, these cookbooks and these recipes, understanding um, how that code gets written and you know some of the best practices around it becomes super, super useful. And it's no longer just uh, I'm running some commands. It's really under, starting to understand uh, just enough Ruby to, to move forward and just enough um, in the way of um, how Chef kind of comes together. And, and I think that that's super, super important. The, the really interesting thing is, uh, and let's see, I'm going to go to our website and see uh, what things we're actually talking about because there's some really neat stuff coming down the pipe that I don't know that I can talk about yet. Um, no, you, it's okay. This, nobody listens. It's okay. Just, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, it's I literally will say like mine and Brent's mom. So don't worry. You say what, just feel free to talk freely. So there are the, okay, so we've got the test-driven cookbook development, the essentials, and the intermediate topics. So um, there are some really interesting stuff uh, coming a little later that's not listed yet. But in general, um, they're constantly improving the training catalog. They're constantly going through and asking the question, okay, how do we make this better? How do we make it match the real world? Uh, one of the most interesting pieces, if you've uh, interacted with any training orgs recently, is... Uh, it takes a bit to develop training. The problem is, is that um, Chef's been around, what, seven years? Uh, we've had, gosh, uh, in the last year to two years, I've watched fundamentals completely uh, change because the community has adopted new practices in how we do things. Uh, you know, when we first started with Chef, it was this idea of, a, and I'm going to use words that may not make sense to everybody, uh, you know, a monolithic repo where all of your chef code was in a single Git, uh, Git repo, and you did the thing. We've uh, moved to uh, the Burke shelf way, if you will, uh, where each uh, cookbook is split out into its own uh, uh, source code repository. And it really is interesting to watch that how the training has caught up with that and done some real interesting stuff. So um, they're constantly working on the training. They're, they're doing some fantastic things. And what's even cooler about it is... Uh, the materials themselves, if you are uh, are released under Creative Commons, and if so, if you've taken the class, we will send you the training materials uh, to get going. It, it's just fantastic, and we didn't talk about it, but I'm just going to throw this out here. There's also Learn Chef, so learn.chef.io. Uh, you can go out there and grab a VM off of um, uh, SkyTap and go spin up an instance and walk through a tutorial on chef's dime we'll provide a vm for you to do it and get a feel for what it means to actually start doing some basic uh test and repair and building out of your infrastructure that's pretty awesome no. yeah and so for those of you who are interactively following alone at home following along at home right we got uh, just go straight to learn.chef.io and uh let's run up their SkyTap bill so anyways <laughs> <laughs> well you know at least we're all is the attention. person that if is the person that implemented that there are there are um, limits in place, but yeah, no, I'd love to, I I would love to have the problem where I need to go to my boss and uh, in increase our limits so that we can supply uh, more VMs to folks. Okay, yeah, that's mom. awesome. Well, I was going to ask you, are there any stats on usage? Um, they uh, there are, but I don't know that I've got them at my fingertips. 
Okay. Fair enough. So I was going to um, – all, go this, yeah, all go. this cooking stuff is making me think. I got an idea for you, right? And um, you were talking earlier about all of everybody's run books that they've got inside of binders. And I was thinking about cookbooks and, like, everybody had or used to have – that Betty Crocker cookbook with the like the white and the white and red kind of um, tablecloth on top and all that kind of stuff and it's, there's some great recipes in there and I know they're online but let's take that exact same concept where you literally just take pictures of every page, drop it into Chef and it converts that recipe into an online recipe and we could take everybody's things that are in binders and turn them into compliance rules using the Betty Crocker module. Now I'm too dumb to make that myself. But I'm challenging, you know, you to find somebody in the community to make it. So just take a picture of your run book, put it in, put it online. It converts it to a uh, a compliance rule, and you're off and running. What do you think? So that the, so that's actually the coolest part is I'm glad you mentioned that, and I hadn't thought about it. Is one of the really interesting things that we learned about automation uh, early on is is that if you just take the shell scripts that you currently are running, or the you know the things that you're already your run books, and just turn them into chef code you're not going to have a good time. Um, and the, the reason being is that so many of those rules and those scripts were written with different constraints in mind. They were written with different assumptions or lacks, lack of, thereof of assumptions, right? Uh, how many people have the shell script that if you ran it the second time, uh, the entire world blew up because it ran rm-rf on the data directory. Because um, that's a thing. We've all, we've all seen those shell scripts, right? And one of the things that becomes really interesting, I, I think, is um, starting to understand internally within um, your organizations as you build build out Chef, um, helping to to understand how that all works and uh, kind of going down that path. Uh, we do also have, as part of our consulting services, we do. Um, a de I, I think they're calling it DevOps transformation, but I mean, it's it really is this idea of um, helping companies to to move towards that DevOps mindset and uh, all of the pieces that come with that. Yeah. So yeah, that's that whole people process technology, right? You uh, leverage a great technology, but if you don't change the people or processes along with it, it's useless. Yeah. This man, whoever invented that, is genius. I'm going with so, absolutely. <laughs> So if there's a, a blog post from many years ago. In fact, it's on the Chef, the chef blog somewhere. Uh, but John Willis of uh, DevOps Cafe came up with this idea of CAMS, um, culture, automation, measurement, and sharing. Um, and there are a lot of people that talk about CALMS where it's uh, also add in the lean there because, you know, TPS for the win. Uh, but the idea of... Uh, you, you, when you really talk about DevOps, that idea of you've got to have um, culture. You know, you have to have that 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 blameless culture, that ability to to make mistakes and move forward. You've you've got to be measuring the things. You've got to have automation around how things work because if you're doing things by hand, it, you're going to make lots of mistakes. Um, and then sharing, uh, in both internally and externally, and we all see this in you know day to day. Where it's like, you know, if you would just like, my favorite is as large organizations where you realize that two parts of the organization are doing exactly the same thing. And had they had someone like bothered to share that I'm working on this and I'm working on this instead of having two teams of five people spread across the organization come up with their own solution for, you know, I don't know, de deploying a Java application. 
you could have taken two people from each part of the company, done this, or heck, what normally happens is, is that the team over on the other side already is doing this. And if this t- the team on um, the other side knew about it, they could have just reused that code. Well, Chris, we are woefully out of time. Uh, so I just had you know one other question before we clo- close this out. Um, you talked about some secret stuff that's going on at Chef. Um, maybe you can tell us about it or not, but any new endpoints or, um, you know, features that are, that are on the horizon for chef that are going to make life considerably easier for, uh, the users of chef. So I'm trying to think what's on the roadmap to be fair. I haven't looked at it in a while. Um, but I'll tell you actually about stuff that was just released. Uh, that's really, really neat. Uh, so as part of delivery, Uh, one of the things that they've just released is this idea of dependency management. And that dependency management stuff is just fantastic. So we, we, how many people have heard the the term uh, microservices, right? Like, Hey, me, 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 instead of having one application, let's have 30 applications. Uh, okay. That's cool. So let's assume that's the thing you actually want to do. I mean, we're, we're going to go down the path of, uh, of microservices. The cool thing about that though, is, is they all depend on each other, right? You actually need to, uh, connect things together so that they understand, uh, those dependencies. Delivery gives you this idea of dependency management where you can say, okay, application a depends on applications B and C. So when application B goes to be deployed, it, Re, it runs all of uh, application A's tests to make sure we didn't just break application A in the process of deploying application B. So uh, that's definitely there. Uh, I I think the the biggest thing is going to be uh, just w- keep watching, Chef. There are lots and lots of neat things going on. Um, and I, I always encourage uh, people to follow us on our blog, follow us on Twitter. Um, so, yeah. And uh, so speaking of blogs, Twitters, and all sorts of other things, um, Chef Conference is in July in Austin, right? And um, we're going to find out mid-month if we're following you on Twitter, whether or not you made it, right? You're going to make the cut. So, uh, you know, roughly 15 days from now or so, we'll, you know, pop up there. So what Twitter are they going to follow you on to find that? I am C. Weber on Twitter. And you're also the same thing on GitHub. And it's cweber.net for your blog. Yes, and I'm C Weber Ops on GitHub. The C-Weber other C Weber, yay name collisions. Uh, so there's actually a C Weber, in, in fact Christopher Weber, as a matter of fact, uh, in the Python space that has C Weber on GitHub. So I'm C Weber Ops on GitHub and C Weber on Twitter. Okay, and uh, cweber.net for your blog. Do you have any? What about this? As you go to develop yourself and do things. Do you have any books or websites that you just can, you've read, either recently read or consistently read to really help you uh, become the, the next version of, of Chris Weber? So I'm going to give a huge shout out to my uh, boss, uh, Ben Rockwood, uh, Ben R on uh, Twitter. Uh, his blog is fantastic. Uh, I would uh, suggest it. It's uh, cuddletech.com. Uh, for those that are in the, the Solaris space, you may have seen that uh, blog once or twice. Uh for me these days, I've been doing a lot of reading of uh, management books and uh, understanding really the people side. So um, I think 
if I had to suggest a set of books to uh, anyone, I, I would say Leaders Eat Last. Um, I'm zoning on the gentleman's More name that food, wrote it. More food, huh? More food again. <laughs> right? Yeah. Perfect for chef. So, sorry. Um, so, Leaders Eat Last and uh, whoever that offer is, right? Yep. Um, Silos, Politics, and Turf Wars. Uh, and it's the same person that wrote uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And for those that haven't read it, The Goal, um, which after you've read The Goal, go read The Phoenix Project or vice versa. But uh, The Goal and The Phoenix Project are, are very high up on the list uh, of must-reads for me as well. Uh, the, the, the better answer is probably go follow my uh, Goodreads account because I'm constantly adding new books to the, to the uh, list. That's awesome. So, well, we appreciate it. Those are actually, I'm, I'm pretty interested in going and seeing what Turf Wars is all about. Um, and of course, I think everybody who's listening by now knows to go read, you know, Phoenix Project. If you haven't read that yet, just, you know, stop, go grab it, go get it, books on tape, whatever it is. That's cool. And uh, Goodreads is a good idea, too. I think that's a great idea uh, to start following people on there. So thanks for that. I don't do that yet. That's a new thing for me. So I- go ahead, Chris. I've been trying to get in the habit of, of updating as I read books because it's amazing just that and go get yourself an Audible account. Just listen to things. It's amazing. Yeah, a friend of mine, Damien, I heard they did a really good uh, April Fool's joke this morning uh, on Audible. So a friend of mine, Damien, put that out there and I was like, man, another thing I don't do that I need to do. So that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Chris. We really appreciate you, uh, you joining us today. On, on behalf of the Hot Owl, um, you know, we, we invite you we, ch- we challenge you to tell us where you want us to go, what kind of topics you want us to cover, who you want on here, and uh, it, unless you're asking for yourself to be on here, in which case, you know, don't do that. You hear me, Shimkus? Don't do that. So, um, <laughs> you know, we, uh, we want you here. We want to hear the topics. We want to know what you want. I promise you, most of the recent content has been because somebody decided to say, hey, give me this, and we, we're doing our best to deliver it, and we want it, because, uh, frankly, we're, we're not very creative. We've run out of ideas. Um, and, you know, so let's do this thing. You know, get, get out there. Get social with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, so, again, on behalf of the Hot Owl, I'm Brian Carpenter. I'm Brent Piatti. Chris, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you.